Greetings and welcome back to The Dive, the weekly podcast in which we examine issues brought up in the previous week's study of Dafyomi and we look at them in, in depth. Uh, and this is the second part of a two-part series on Ben Hashmashot, which is now more than a week back. The main sugya is at the end of Mamadlikin, Daflamad Dalad Lamad Hey. In last week's session, we studied the sugya itself, and we also looked at a parallel passage from the Yerushalmi at the beginning of Brachot. We laid out the, laid out the different shitot, and we saw that the halacha seemed to follow the position of Rabbi Yehuda, that Bein uh, HaShmashot lasts for three quarters of a mil, that's 13 and a half minutes, from sunset until nightfall. We also saw the position of Rabbi Nechemi that it was nine minutes, and the position of Rabbi Yossi that it was an instant, and then we determined in the Gemara that that instant took place at the end of Rabbi Yehuda's period which would mean that up until that time it would be considered daytime. Um, we're now going to see to go to the next step of Iyun, and the next step of Iyun is looking at other sugyot in Shas that impact on our sugya. We will then go to the third stage, which is to look at the Rishonim uh, and see how they deal with the, not only our sugya, but also deal with the possible implications of those other sugyot. And we'll take it to the last step, at least the beginning of the last step, which is to look at Psak Halacha. So let's start with the impactful sugyot. The impactful sugya uh, is in Psachim, in the begin- towards the beginning of the ninth parak of Psachim. Uh, the context is Pesach Sheni, and Pesach Sheni, if you recall, is an opportunity given to people who were Tameh or far away from the Mikdash and unable to bring the Korban Pesach in its time. The determination of what far away is is subject to a machloket tanaim in the Mishnah, and um, some of it. So one of the positions has to do with the amount of time it takes from beginning of the day until midday, how far you can walk, etc. And that kind of opens the door for this sugya. Uh, you'd ask the question, how do you get to this sugya? Well, there's two, several ways. One way to get to it is uh, if you're a student of Dafyomi, then you're a member. Then when we studied Psachim, we got to the sugya. Uh, perhaps an easier way to do it is that when you open up Masachet Shabbat in our sugya and you look at the Rishonim, even on the spot, Tosfot, on the page, references this sugya, you immediately open this sugya and take a look at it and see what's going on. And we will see uh, several troubling things in the sugya, troubling at least vis-a-vis our sugya. We will, in the course of this shiur, look at that Tosfot uh, in Shabbat. Okay, Amarava, source six. Shita alfe parse have alma. The world is 6,000 parsaot. Now, parsa is four meal. Uh, so call that 24,000 miles um, long, perhaps. Sumcha uh, derekia alfe parsi. And the thickness of the rakia, the firmament, is 1,000 parsaot. Now, let's see what this means, what the thickness of the firmament means. Um, in the times of Chazal, the assumed astro- astronomic position was, first of all, geocentric, so that the world is fixed and everything else is moving around it, and also that the there is a firmament, which is sort of the sky, and that that firmament has a thickness to it, and that the sun um, operates inside of the firmament during the day and somewhere outside of that firmament at night. We'll see the two different positions here. And so that the thickness of that firmament is 1,000, or in other words, 
it is a sixth of the length of the um, of of the earth. Okay. Now, Chada Gemara v'Chada Sfara. Now that we comment that one of these statements is a tradition, one of these is something you could figure out. Let's see what that is. Um, the length itself is uh, is Gemara. There's a tradition on it. But the ratio is a svarah. How's that? And this is going to bring us closer to our point. How much could an average person walk during the day? And again, we measure time based on average walking. Uh, you can walk 10 parsaot during a day, 40 miles. It's uh, quite a bit. It's a little less than 40 miles, but it's still quite a bit. So from dawn until sunrise is five milin. And on the other side, symmetrically, from sunset until nightfall is five milin. And again, five milin is going to be 90 minutes. So that's 180 minutes total of, um, of part of the day where the sun is not out. So that means that the thickness of the rakia, which means that the notion that the sun has to pass from the visible point of the firmament to the furthest point of the firmament is that five meal. And if it's five meal um, relative to the um, 30 meal that you could walk uh, during the day when the sun is out, because 30 plus 5 plus 5 is 40, then that means it's one-sixth. So that means that the thickness of the rakia is one-sixth of the length of the earth. And so the rakia is 1,000, and that's the math. Okay, Meitave, here's the challenge. He says the thickness of the rakia is one-tenth, not one-sixth, one-tenth of the day, which would mean, basically, that the sun would be operating around the rakia for one-tenth of the amount of time that it would be operating um, one tenth of its time out is in the rakia, and the other eight tenths, so one tenth on each side, the other eight tenths would be visible. So therefore, the rakia is one. Sorry. All right. So you can walk ten parsaot. Right, this is this is uh, I'll read review it again. So we're starting with the same assumption that an average person can walk ten parsaot during the day. That means what we will call seventy-two minutes from dawn until until um, sunrise. And from sunset until nightfall, another four, which means there's a total of eight which is two parsaot. And if the whole day is 10, then that means that, uh, that you, if you can walk 10 parsaot during the day, of which two of them are during that twilight time, then that means one of them is, a, uh, is a, uh, an eighth, right? So that means that the thickness of the rakia, sorry, is one-tenth. You can walk 40 during the day, and four of them are in the rakia. That means the rakia is one-fourth the size of the earth. All right. Tiyufta de Rava, Tiyufta. So um, Rava has been disproved here because um, Rava's position was that the rakia is a thousand. Okay. Uh, tiyufta de Ula Tiyufta. 
Ula also uh, here has been disproven. Ula who had the position of Rabbi Yochanan. Is this also going to be a to Rabbi Yochanan? No, Rabbi Yochanan could say, I'm talking about just during the day itself. The Rabbanan misunderstood me. They thought what I was talking about was also the twilight time. And those are other positions that are not our concern. Okay, that all brings us to the sugya that's the main thing, but we had to see Rabbi Yehuda's opinion here. Because Rabbi Yehuda, who, if you remember, in our sugya said that Ben Hashmashot is three quarters of a meal, what we're calling 13 and a half minutes, here says that Ben Hashmashot, or shall we say from sunset until nightfall, is four meal, which we'll call 72 minutes. Okay? Now, a what's seemingly a relevant sugya, and as we'll see in the commentaries, it is very relevant, is on Amud Bet of the same daf in Psachim Tanar Rabbanan. Chachmei Yisrael Omrim, Galgal Kavua Umazalot Chozrein. Chachmei Omoto Olam Omrim, Galgal Chozer Umazalot Kvuin. So there was a dispute between the sages of Israel and the sages of the nations, which evidently is Greeks, about whether the sun is essentially sitting still and the, uh, and the constellations are moving or vice versa. And Amar Rebbe Chuvala Divrahem, and he says we can prove our position because Mialam Lama Sinu Agalabadarom Agalabadarom Ve Safon has to do with the constellations layout. That's not our concern, but this part is our concern. Some explanation of how their position could work out with the constellations. Okay, but this is the part that concerns us. He said, during the day, the sun operates underneath the rakia, so we can see it. And so picture this, picture a flat earth, picture a, a kind of a, an arch over the earth, which is the rakia, and we talked about the thickness of that rakia. And during the day, the sun moves in a, um, in a curved fashion along the, along the rim of that rakia on the inside, and then it has to move out of the rakia, and then it goes back westward over the rakia at night. And then in the morning does the same thing. It does it again. And the Greeks say, we assume it's the Greeks, They say during the day, the sun goes under the rakia, and then it continues going in a circle and goes underneath the earth. Okay? So now, both these positions are clearly not related to the reality as far as we know it, uh, and we know a lot better what things look like. Uh, But given the notion of a single plane of the earth and of the earth, and again, a geocentric model of the earth staying still, the question is, where does the sun go at night? Does it go above the rakia or below the earth? That's the machloket. And now, interesting, Rebbe says, He said, I think they're probably right. Why? So it was a phenomenon in the Galil, evidently, that the springs are cool during the day, but at night they heat up. And the notion is they heat up because the sun has gone underneath and cooked them. Okay. 
He says, here's what happens during the summer. The sun goes at a higher pitch, and therefore the whole world is hot, but the springs are cool. During the winter, it goes at a lower horizon. The world is cold, but the, the springs are hot because the sun is closer to them. How we understand that, difficult to, difficult to take. And we're going to stop at this point, although the rest of the sugya is also fascinating for uh, history of astronomy buffs. Um, etc. Okay, but the main thing that we see from here, and the reason we saw the second sugya will become apparent in a little while, the main thing that we saw that was of concern to us was the approach of Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda, who said that from Shkiata Chama, or Mishetishkaha Chama, until Tzeta Kochavim, meaning the period of Benash Mashot, in Masachat Shabbat, he said was three quarters of a meal. And here he said, Rabbi Shkiata Chama, Tzeta Kochavim, Arba Milin. All right, and that leads to the following. Now, we're assuming that, of course, we're assuming that we have the statements correct and that the words mean the same thing in both places, and that's a safe assumption. We're also assuming that Rabbi Yehuda's statements are both meant halachically, meaning that these measures are measures to be used halachically, and therefore that daytime, halachic daytime, halachic nighttime are all judged by these, in which case we have a serious contradiction in Rabbi Yehuda's words. So we have in Tosfot, source 8, this is the Tosfot in Psachim, Kashe l'Rabbeinu Tam, Rabbeinu Tam found a difficulty. D'besof, Pabem Adlikin, Amar Ezu ben Ashmashot, Shishkach Hamar Kozman Shepreh Mizrach Ma'adimin, Diver Yehuda. He quotes Rabbi Yehuda in Pabem Adlikin, who says that as soon as the sun sets, as long as the sky, which we later determined in the conversation between Abay and Rava, means the western sky is still red, it's immediately Ben Ashmashot, which means the minute the sun sinks, it's Ben Ashmashot. And our conclusion there is that Rabbi Yehuda's Ben Ashmashot is three quarters of a mil, which means from sunset, uh, tonight we'll call sunset, let's say, arbitrarily 7.30, it's around 7.30, uh, until 7.43, that's that period. And then afterwards it's nighttime. Here he says it's four milin, which would mean that if sunset were at 7.30, that means night, that Menash Pashot would last until 8.42, an hour and 12 minutes. Okay? Uh, and so, Yeshlomar, this is Rabbeinu Tam's answer. Here, when it says formulin, it means which means from the beginning of the setting of the sun. Now, we say the beginning of the setting of the, setting of the sun. We talked about this in last week's Shior. We, we could mean for the second, the second that the sun starts to dip below the horizon until it's fully gone. But as we determine, that's a difference of a minute, a minute and a half, as we saw in the dispute between Rav Yosef and Rabbah. So that's not going to settle our problem here. So he says, From the time that the sun starts to set into the thickness of the firmament, now notice here that Rabbeinu Tam is using uh, the terminology of the Chachmei Motolam Chachmei Yisrael in the second passage in, in Psachim. I'll explain it when we finish this Tosfot. And so the way Rabbeinu Tam reads it is as follows, that the passage in Bamema Likin is referring to the period at the very end of the sunset process, and the sunset process itself takes four milin, meaning to go from day to night. 
However, the Banish Mashot period is the last 13 and a half minutes of that, and everything up until that is not yet nighttime at all, not even Safek. Uh, and the reason he would say that, as we will see in the later commentaries, is he basing it on the astronomy of Chachmei Israel, that the sun goes in this arch and then hits the horizon, and then after it hits the horizon, it passes, and this takes four milin, it passes under the end of the rakia and then begins to go up. And for that entire time, the sun is still in the world, shall we say, even though we don't see it. Okay? Now, take a look at Tosfot in Masachat Shabbat, source 9. And uh, this is going to be very much the same thing, but a bit of an expansion. Trade tilt a mill, right? We have the machlok at uh, Rabbi Rabbi Yosef. All right, is it two-thirds of a meal or three-quarters of a meal? Kashe, in, in Rabbi Yudah's opinion. Kashe, so Tosa points out that here it's difficult because it sounds as if from sunset until nighttime, all there is is three-quarters of a meal. And he quotes our, our piece in Psachim, and he says it's four million. Lailo, and what's Lailo? And it says there that Tzeta Kochavim is four million after Shkiah. That's the whole sugi of Or. We have the Pasuk that's utilized at the beginning of Masachet Brachot to identify Tzeta Kochavim as the beginning of the night. And it's that pasuk that tells us that you could do mitzvot of daytime even as early as Amur HaShachar, as dawn, based on that pasuk, uh, and therefore, and that pasuk extends daytime until Tzayt HaKochavim. Rabbeinu Tam here expands a little bit on the version we saw in Psachim, which says, look at the language. The language in Bamema Likin in Shabbat is so he says is meaning when it starts to set here it says at the end of the after the sun has gone into the thickness of the firmament again we're we're using terminology that is interesting curious and has no correlation to reality as far as 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 we understand it, Avaltema Luri. So the Ri, Rabbeinu Yitzchak, who was Benatam's nephew, asked him, "My pligi, if that's the case, then what's the machlokat about the Havadim Yishat Tzeta Kochavim Havei Laila?" Kvarashti, certainly it's nighttime after Tzeta Kochavim. The answer is that we say later in the Sugyan, we saw this also in the Yushalmi, which kind of stars, not big stars that can be seen during the day, and not little ones that can only be seen at night. So it becomes a very simple thing to, 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 to reconcile and say, well, we simply are disagreeing about which size stars we're talking about. So the stars that are seen during that entire period, according to Rabbeinu Tam, those are going to be daytime stars, and they don't mean anything. Right. Right. So he said. Plus, if the whole thing is based on four milim, then why don't we just 
watch and see how long it takes an average person. And again, we come into the same problem of these very inexact standards. What's an average person? Uh, same thing with a foot or any other measure that we use that's originally based on a subjective reality is how do we standardize it. Okay, so that's how Tosfot deals with this apparent problem in the in the sugyot between our sugya and Shabbat and the sugya in Psachim. And we're beginning now to understand um, the fact that for many circumstances, including, of course, for Shabbat and Chagim, we wait significantly more than 13 and a half minutes after sunset, even if we were to adjust that for latitude and call the 13 and a half minutes 15 minutes or 16 minutes uh, in Los Angeles and maybe 18 minutes in New York, etc., based on... Uh, based on how much further from the equator we are, still we wait significantly longer than that. Let's take a look in the Rambam. And the Rambam really for us operates on, in, on two planes. On the one hand, the Rambam is taking an approach and understanding the Gemara. Uh, and on the other hand, the Rambam is a psak halacha, is, is, is halachic ruling. So let's see what the Rambam says in Parakeh of Hechot Shabbat. And we're going to look at two of the commentators on the Rambam because their words are going to be very helpful for understanding what's going on. The Rambam says as follows, So from the time that the sun sets, and he doesn't give us any definition more than just sun sets, until three average-sized stars, that is called means for all halachic issues, including Tumah Tahara, as we saw in Truma and Shabbat. Might be day, might be night. And we are stringent in all cases in either direction. Therefore, you can't light candles then. We saw this in Rabbi Yossi's statement at the end of our sugya that if somebody does malacha, a few minutes after sunset on Friday, and then a few minutes after sunset on Saturday, they have to bring a chatat one way or the other, because one way or the other they violated Shabbat, either on Friday or on Saturday. Which kind of stars, not the ones that can be seen during the day, and not the only ones that can only be seen during pure night, average-sized stars. The minute you have three stars of that, of that magnitude that it can be seen, that is for sure, Lila. Okay, Mishdishka, Chama, Adshe, Ra'u, etc. And um, and Ezberish Mashot, etc. Okay, now um, the Magid Mishnah. Magid Mishnah, as you can see from the note, is Vidal Yom Tov of Toulouse, uh, who lived in in Spain, uh, Toulouse in uh, Spain in the uh, in second half of the 14th century is one of the earliest um, popular, shall we say, commentators on the Rambam. Uh, and in it, he writes the following, Rabbeinu Pasak Karaba. says, the Rambam ruled in accordance with Rabbah's position against Rav Yosef. V'chein b'halachot, same thing in the riff. V'amru sham batarachi, amar Rav Yehuda, amar Shmuel, kochav achad yom, shnayim ben ashmashot, shloshava day layla. Again, one, two, and three stars. V'dai, and here he comes. Shurabenu tam veharambanzal. Perushu shteishkiotin. He lays it straight out. Shurabenu tam, and by the way, the Ramban agreed with him. Uh, said that there are two sunsets. 
The first one is when the sun sets within the thickness of the firmament. It's when we can no longer see it, when the shining is gone from the land. And then it goes through that whole thickness of the firmament. That takes four million, 72 minutes. Again, 72 minutes based on that notion. And he quotes the, cites the, the Sugiyan Psachim. And this second Shkia that's mentioned here is the end of Shkia. As long as the sun is still facing its opening, and hasn't gone behind that arch, there's still a little bit of red in the sky. This, of course, is very difficult to substantiate because you don't see this, certainly not more than 30 minutes after sunset. Our sunset. And he quotes from Erotam, meaning after it's already set. Um, that, that that is from the beginning of sunset hazot. And they argue that therefore it is full daytime up until the time that the sun is passed behind that window, which is now going to be almost an hour, 58 and a half minutes actually, after what we call sunset. And so now during that time, you can also add on, there's going to be two ancillary halachic issues that we're going to bring in because they become a big part of the discussion among the Rishonim about this whole issue. The first is as follows. There is a mitzvah according to all, almost all we shown him, except for the Rambam, of Tosefet Chol uh, Kodesh, to take a day like Shabbat and to extend Shabbat voluntarily by beginning it a bit earlier than it actually starts and extending it a little bit later than it really ends. And so therefore, we start Shabbat a few minutes before Shabbat is, shall we say, forced upon us. And so if you argue that it's daytime until about an hour after our physical sunset, our visible sunset, then he said, anytime during that hour, you could start Shabbat, and you're still Mosif Michol HaKodesh. Okay, that's the first thing. I'll come to the second one a little bit later in the Shi'ur. Ratzal Osif Kulo Mosif, the Rashba challenged this entire position, even though he's a student of the Rambani, challenged this entire position based on the Mishalmi that we saw last week. It seems to make it clear that the minute the sun sets, that's already going to be not for sure daytime. Um, and he left it as something that has to be looked into. Now, another one of the popular commentaries on the, Ram, on the Rambam is the Lacha Mishnah. Who was from Salonika 200 years later, at the end of the 16th century? Salonika became an important community of exiles uh, from the uh, Iberian Peninsula after the, um, after the um, Spanish uh, expulsion, which was then followed by the Inquisition. Um, his commentary, he points he points, very much Tom Magid. So he now is going to comment on Rabbeinu Tam. Rabbeinu Tam, whose position was quoted by the Magid Mishnah, we just mentioned, uh, we just saw, meaning Rabbeinu Tam thinks, meaning Rabbeinu Tam seems to buy into the astronomic position 
of Chachmei Yisrael, that there is an arch over the world, the firmament, and that the sun goes within the arch during the day, takes an hour plus to pass under the foot of the arch, and then goes behind the arch during the night, and uh, and that's where he gets his position from. Um, parenthetically, just one interesting thing about that is what it means is that in a, in uh, is that it passes over the arch much quicker than it passes under the arch, and not at a, not a symmetrical time, because if you argue that it that the daytime, let's say at a, at the equinox, so the day and night is equal, which means the time that the sun is under the arch is equal to everything else. And yet, it has to pass under the arch and go above the arch and under the arch again to get back. One of the many questions that, of course, are all theoretical questions because, again, reality is quite different. Okay, so he says, So he quotes and kind of comments on the passage of the Jewish position of astronomy. Back in the Gemara. So he said the first one is when the sun cuts into the firmament, what we call sunset, and it then travels the entire distance of the thickness of the firmament before rising again, and that's three milin minus. And then the last sunset is when it goes from there until behind. So this is difficult. And he's defending the Rambam's position, who ignores all of this and reads the Gemara and Bamem Adlikim Mahalacha and does not respond at all to the Gemara and Psachim. We'll have to see why. He says, by the way, the Lacham Mishnah reads Chachamim Olam as the Greeks. And he says, in this one, the Greeks were actually right. And Rabbi himself said so. Right? And he says, plus it's something that we've reasoned out. And they, they themselves based halachic rulings based on the position of Chachamim Avan. They even ruled as far as the rule of Mayim Shalanu. Right, uh, the water that you need to use for for making matzah um, is impacted by the fact that the water in the springs heats up at night because the sun goes underneath them. That's why they only draw it out during the day. We don't want hot water for matzah. He said, "I don't get why Rabbi Tam would rule based on a rejected position about astronomy." And a, and a position that was already rejected for halachic purposes by Chazal. He asks another question about the Rambam, why the Rambam doesn't mention the issue of uh, one star is daytime uh, and, um, and uh, two is night, or... Um, or again, one is daytime, two is benishmashot, three is night, is the different positions in the Gemara. Why he didn't mention that, so he leaves that but But what the Lacha Mishnah does here is he aligns clearly, and it seems that something that's sort of mitbakesh from the sugya itself, seems to, to speak itself from the sugya. 
Um, and he, uh, he identifies Rabbeinu Tam's position with this astronomic understanding or this understanding of, of astronomy and about the sun's um, uh, revolution. Um, and, uh, and he then, therefore, he says there's no reason to accept it, and this is why the Rambam takes the position he does, which is from sunset, it is Benash Mashot, and Benash Mashot ends three quarters of a meal later, and then it's nighttime, Vadai nighttime. Um, as I mentioned, there are numerous halachic issues that are impacted. One of the popular ones that, that was, that was addressed by numerous Rishonim, uh, and, that brought in Rabbeinu Tam and Ramban on one side, and the Rambam, by the way, the Gaonim, uh, on the other side of understanding when the day ends and when night starts, uh, was the issue of Brit Milah. And specifically, although it impacts really on all Brit Britot, uh, on all days, specifically Brit Milah when a baby is born on Friday. If a baby is born, let's say sunset at 7.30. Let's say a baby is born Friday night at 7.40. So when was the baby born? So you essentially have th- three possibilities. I'll make it even more fun. Let's say the baby was born at 8. You have three possibilities. Possibility one is to say the baby was born on Friday. That's what Rabbeinu Tam would say. Because Rabbeinu Tam would say that it's absolute full daytime for the first 58 minutes or so after what we call sunset. And if the baby was born Friday during the day, what do I care if it was Friday at 8 o'clock during the day or Friday at 4 o'clock during the day? Either way, the breed will be the next Friday morning. Friday at any time during the day but even Friday morning. If, on the other hand, you say that 8 o'clock is now Lila because it's past Benesh Mashot, then that means this certainly, without a question, born on Shabbat, and all things being equal, the baby being healthy, etc., then the Brit is the next Shabbat. We do violate Shabbat to do a Brit, but only when it is a Brit on the 8th day and for sure an 8th day. If, on the other hand, you maintain that 8 o'clock is Benesh Mashot, then the Brit will be on Sunday. You can't do the Brit on Friday because the baby may be seven days old. You can't do the Brit on Shabbat because by then he may be nine days old. So you have to put it off till Sunday. And so this is a uh, sort of a starting point for many of the chuvot among the Rishonim that led to them dealing with this issue and ruling one way or the other. Believe it or not, a preponderance of the Rishonim ruled like Rabbeinu Tam and the Ramban. And in a case like that, would have the Brit be on Friday morning. Okay, let's take a look at the tour. The tour in source 13 uh, in Hilchot Shabbat says, Safek chashecha, safek ena chashecha, ein masvinat avadai, v'minat akelim, v'minat akelim, that's the Mishnah that we saw, that we don't do things that are vadai violations of Shabbat. V'hubein hashmashot, safek yom, safek laila. All right, so far nothing new. Uzmano mishitishka hachama ve'elach. It's from sunset and on. And in this simon of the tour, he doesn't give us an end time. But one quick introduction, we're not going to be reading this entire paragraph on the next page, but the, without a doubt, most significant and seminal commentary on the tour was the commentary of Rabbi Yosef Karo, who we know more as the Mechaber, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, uh, 1488 to 1575. He was born in Spain, and uh, as a young boy, the family was exiled. They ended up in Turkey, and finally he moved to Tzfat, uh, and uh, wrote a monumental commentary on the Rambam, the Kesef Mishnah. He wrote uh, a thorough and uh, detailed commentary on the tour known as the Beit Yosef, and then put his own version of the tour as we should see the Shulchan Aruch. The Beit Yosef, I'm just going to give you a taste of it, is what the Beit Yosef does, and this is only one of the paragraphs on that small simon of the tour. 
He says, Umash Kadav Rabbeinu Vubin Ashmashot, Kach Pirash Rashi Sham. First he quotes the Gemara, then he says how Rashi reads it. Which comes, Manovish Tishkach, Mailach Sham, Besofa Perak, Fligu Tanoi, Vimilta, Fsika, Gemara, Hilchotak, Rabbi Yuda. He's been Ashmashot, Vishkach, Makos, Manchbe, Mizrach, Mavadimin, Hirsifa, Tachton, etc., etc. And then he goes through the Sugya and he, with Rashi's commentary. And then, as you'll see a few lines down, Kfar Pasku Arifa Rosh Varambam Perkei the Halacha Kiraba Hakamar Ezman Ashmashot Shishka Hamam Chosvan Shemim Zrach Madimin. So he quotes the Rif and the Rosh, by the way, the Torah's father, and the Rambam, who say basically what we saw in last week's Shir, the minute the sun sets, as long as the sky is still red, it's it's been Ashmashot. And we said it was thirteen and a half minutes. Was Elshik Atav Rabbeinu was Siman. Which is three quarters of a meal, right? And then he quotes the Tosfot's question and Tosfot's challenge, and you look through. So he brings all of the different opinions, and then he quotes a whole slew of other Rishonim um, on the topic. Uh, in in many of them uh, who take the position um, of uh, of the of Rabbeinu Tam. Um, and then he says, Umashmali at the end of the tour, the last eight lines. Remember the mention the issue of Tosefet Shabbat. The uh, the tour seems to also leave it out. All right. So we mentioned the issue of Tosefet Shabbat. Good, but. Um, but now, let's take a look and see what the Shulchan Aruch himself said. Safek Chashecha, v'hu bein hashmashot. All right, let's read it very carefully. Safek Chashecha, which is bein hashmashot, and now, in parentheses, excuse the editor put it, ha'inu k'day shi'ur hiluch gimel revi'e mil, three quarters of a mil, achar shkiyat after sunset, v'shi'ur mil hu shlish sha'a pachot chelak lamed. How far is a mil? A third of an hour minus a thirtieth of an hour. Which is 18 minutes. As we saw in It's a time when you could still do Amira Lanochri, a critical issue in Hilchot Shabbat. Perhaps we'll address it in one of the later dive shiurim about asking a non Jew to do Malacha. Good. All right. The Ramah adds in an interesting thing. All right. And if you started Shabbat early, you could still ask an Anju to do Malacha for you. Okay. Now, bet. Some people say, and this is the Rosh and many other Rishonim, that you have to add from Chol unto Kodesh. When does this start? From the beginning of sunset. What's that? From when the sun is no longer seen, until All right, so far we're fine. Which means that at some point before sunset, you have to start Shabbat um, so that you add on. But... This is three and a quarter meal. That's the period. Meaning, from the sunset until Banash Mashot is time that you should add on to Shabbat 
and Benash Mashot starts after three and a quarter meal after sunset. Ratzala Sotoku Lotosefet, if you want to make that entire time, add it on Ose, you could start Shabbat as early as sunset. Ratzala Sotmenu, what we call sunset. Ratzala Sotmenu Miktzat Ose, you want to make one or two minutes of it, that's fine. As long as you take some time that is certainly daytime and add it on to Kodesh. How long is Ben Hashmashot? Three quarters of a mil. 1,500 amot of walking, which is 2,000 amot is a mil. Three quarters of a mil, 18 minutes again. All right, and then the Ramah says, If you want to start Shabbat from Plaga Mincha, something many of us do in the summer, then you could do that, and that's a sugya we dealt with uh, earlier on in the series in Brachot. Okay. You notice that Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah, the Ramah doesn't disagree, at least not here, took the position of Rabbeinu Tam, very straightforward, which is that from the time that we have astronomic sunset for the next almost one full hour, it is still considered daytime. And you could do malacha without a question during that time. You could light candles, etc. But since there's an opinion that says, you should, a few minutes before that, as much as you want, you should then um, uh, start Shabbat early to add Michola Kodesh. The implications for Shabbat are astounding. And the implications on Motzei Shabbat are astounding. And the interesting thing is that in spite of the fact that a, a majority of the Rishonim took this position, since the Vilna Gon, who rejected this position, who took the position of the Rambam, and the Gon, that sunset is astronomic sunset, which is visible sunset, which is when the sun disappears from the horizon, and from that point on, Benash Mashot begins, um, we are all in the practice of ceasing Malacha before astronomic sunset. And even putting up a barrier and lighting candles 18 minutes before that, and Yushalayim 40 minutes before that, and in uh, and um, uh, starting a Kabbalah Shabbat hopefully before that. Post can say this means say means more surely more Shabbat before that, and Kabbalah Shabbat earlier before astronomic sunset. And on the other end, there is a range of practices. There are those who still maintain Rabbeinu Tam's sunset, if you will, Lachumra which means on Saturday night, they'll wait to do malacha until it's 72 minutes or even more than that, perhaps even 90 minutes, a different shitot, after sunset because of concern for the position taken by many, many Rishonim. And um, then there's a position that operates with the three stars and identifying at what time at this at this. Um, um, latitude, three average size magnitude stars are seen, and then you get positions that are somewhere between about 35 minutes and 45 minutes, depending where you are and depending who you ask and what position is taken. Um, and I have not yet heard of any communities that uh, practice Rabbi Yehuda's Ben Hashmashot Lakula and 13 and a half minutes after sunset do Malacha. I've never heard of such a thing. But again, the positions are all out there. What really is astounding, though, is that on the one hand, um, we there there is a significant group that continues to take, uh, and with all due respect, continues to take the positions of the Rishonim that as the as the Lecha Mishnah identified it, as Maharama Lashkar identified it uh, in uh, 14th century Egypt, 
in a, in a famous tshuva he wrote, and others have identified that their position was all taken based on an astronomic approach, which even the Gemara was defeated, and certainly is is uh, is no longer uh, something that anybody holds on to. Um, that nonetheless, there is still tremendous respect and reverence for that position, and as a result of that, we wait. Uh, some many people wait uh, much longer. We notice, though, that uh, many people will take a position that is. Um, Operates with the Gimel Kochavim uh, position, which uh, which it shows up both in the Bavli and the Yerushalmi, as opposed to the thirteen and a half minute. Okay, and um, what we've seen here today over the course of this last uh, uh, forty-five minutes is we've seen the um, I have a couple words at the end here, but what we've seen here is um, the first of all the impactful sugya in Psachim. Then we saw how Tosfo dealt with the apparent contradiction between Rabbi Huda's position in Psachim and Rabbi Huda's position in Shabbat. We saw that Rambam seems to ignore the position in Psachim. I'll suggest two different reasons why that may be the case. We then looked at the commentaries on the Rambam and saw that the Magid Mishnah quoted the Rabinotam and the Ramban and their position. We then saw the Lecha Mishnah's commentaries explaining that Rabinotam's position is aligned with the astronomic position of Chachmei Yisrael, which even in the Gemara was rejected. Then we saw the tour, we saw a little bit of the Beit Yosef, and then we saw the Shulchan Aruch's ruling himself, and it seems that by the time of the Shulchan Aruch, the position of Rabbeinu had become the normative position, um, which, uh, of course, as I said, would have really astounding halachic impact. I mentioned about Brit Milah. Another example would be lighting Shabbat candles. It would be done significantly later than sunset. Matter of fact, there are reports even... Uh, in fairly recent times of people who would light Hanukkah candles on Shabbat Hanukkah significantly later than sunset because of the idea that it's still daytime until the second Shkiah. So we, we see this range of opinions. The Vilna Gaon, who died in 1797, wrote a commentary on Shulchan Aruch, which is known as Biur Hagra. It is a, uh, a masterful work, and it is in extreme shorthand. But and almost every one of his comments is terse and very short. Here he has in Reish Samachalov, he has a very long comment, which he goes through the sugyot, and he favors the position of the Rambam. And since then, the normative practice among Am Yisrael, as I mentioned, there are others, but the normative practice among Am Yisrael is to uh, regard sunset as the end of the day, Luchumra. And as I said, there are many who still take the Rinatam L'chumra at the other end of the day uh, for numerous things. Um, okay, one last comment about this. Um, I'm gonna, two, two ideas about where the Rambam uh, does not address the issue of Psachim. So the first reason may be based on, on what the Lacha Mishnah says. The Rambam was not basing it on his own co- commentary on him, but based on the same idea that he said, since the entire Sugyam Psachim rests upon a rejected astronomic position, there's no reason to see it as a contradiction, and we'll see that Rabbi Yudah's position, we might even see that Rabbi Yudah's position about uh, about Shkiah, the normative one, the one that's halachic, is the one of Mama Malikin. The second possibility is to say that the Rambam simply saw the discussion in Psachim as a discussion about science or about uh, the length of the day, but not a halachic discussion per se, 
and therefore didn't see the sugyot as really being impactful on each other, and therefore went solely with the, with the sugya in Bamamadlikin. It's clear that the Rambam only used the sugya Bamamadlikin to to put together to uh, to put together his ruling. One last comment, which is much more than a comment, and Rabbi Salvechik uh, devoted significant energy to this topic uh, in uh, in several of his shirim. Uh, including some that are uh, that are written, um, is the nature of the safek of Benash Mashot. You know, we said Benash Mashot is safek minayom, safek minalayla, safek kulom minayom minalayla. It's kind of a strange safek. And so normally with the case of safek, the way we deal with it is uh, I have property, I don't know if it belongs to A or B. Or I have a piece of meat, and I don't know if it came from kosher store A or non-kosher store B. All right, or I have a piece of meat, and I don't know if it's the chelav or the shuman. The chelav pro- prohibited, the shuman, which is permissible. That's a classic safek. Um, um, I have a baby born to a woman who, a month after she got uh, divorced or widowed, um, got married, and now we don't know if this child, we could now do DNA, but classically we don't know if this child is from the first or the second husband, as far as all sorts of other things go, safek. Safek means there's information out there, and I just don't have the information. It's there. It may be available, it may be unavailable, but it's information that I'm missing. But Salechik pointed out that there is another kind of safek in halacha, and that is a safek which is really the product of too much information. And he used as an example a ritva in Masachet Yoma. In Masachet Yoma, uh, the, the Gemara and the Zion talks about the issue of the comets. You know, when a coin takes, uh, doesn't mean ha, he reaches with his three middle fingers in and curls them together and takes some of the grain out. And that's the comets. That is Kodesh, and that goes on the Mizbeach. It's all Kodesh, but that goes on the Mizbeach and may not be eaten. The rest of the Mincha, in most cases, is eaten. What happens if he reaches in with his fingers and there's grain that pops out on the top? So that's not in. What about grain that's in between the fingers? Gemara says, they asked the question and they answered Safek. So Rabbeinu Tam said, Rabbi the Ritva says, I understand, how can Safek be an answer? And he says, Safek here is an answer not because we don't know what to do with it, but because they have too much information. Because on the one hand, it is inside the fingers. On the, on the other hand, it's reaching out. I'm simplifying it greatly out of a consideration of time, but what you have is two different halachic concepts that are in collision, and the result is Safek. So the, the, the Rav said the same, the same thing is true about Ben Hashmashot. When is daytime and when is nighttime? And he said it's basically a machloka between the first day of creation and the fourth day of creation. Because in the first day of creation, we see that God creates light, and by Elohim la'or yom. God calls the light day and the darkness night, which means when it's light, it's day. Which would mean that even after the sun would set or before the sun rises, as long as the sun's rays are illuminating some of the earth, it's daytime. On the other hand, in day four of creation, it says that the sun was made to rule over the day. And so what the Rav argued was that the inherent contradiction between day one and day four leave us with banish mashot, not as a safek of, I don't know what to do here, I'm missing information, but I have too much conflicting information and the result of the conflicting information is safek, just as the Ritva comments in uh, in his commentary on Masachet Yoma about the comets. So hopefully we've got a better handle, a better understanding of Benash Mashot. Next week we're going to pick up one of the sugyot. 
by my behemah, we're actually going to take a sugya in uh, in agada next week and take a look at uh, and how we learn some agadot, and we'll go on from there. And everybody should have a uh, a wonderful week. And Mirza Hashem, soon we should be able to gather in person to learn together.